0: and analytics driven business, so you have a new durable competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it.
1: Sure. Happy to have you join us today. Yeah, thanks for
2: having me. I appreciate it. This will be fun.
1: I know you have a team. You're also a maps coach. Yep. Tell us a little bit more about that. Looks like you're you're probably at the four hundred range right now, going to five hundred.
2: Yeah, we should we should cross the 400 line in pending and close, uh, if not the end of this week, early next week. So we'll probably close somewhere of between 415 and 425 this year, which is a big leap. Last year we were 350.
1: Congratulations!
2: So thank so you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah,
1: 250 to to 450. It sounds like
2: God willing, the creek don't rise. Yeah, as long as this hot market, which by the way, everyone's an expert in, everyone's a hero these days. So we're we're yeah. milking it for what it's worth right now. Yeah, you and the rest of the hustlers, right? That's exactly right. Make hey while the sun's up. Who knows what next year is going to look like? So let's do what you yeah. we can.
1: Well, hopefully, what Greer shared with us is truth and that we're going to be up another, you know, 10 to
2: 18%. So, yeah, you know, it's possible there's really no, the weirdest thing about all of this is it seems like we're, there's like two parallel universes going on right now, right? One is, our reality which is that our market segment seems to be going great and all the people that buy and sell seem to be confident in taking action and there's this other parallel reality which seems to run the face of all logic which is we should be in a recession right now we should be feeling it and everything should be falling apart at the seams and so i don't know when these two things reconcile they've got to eventually and and and, you know if you study real estate cycles we're probably about due for it most people thought it was going to happen in 2020 and yet it hasn't so who knows, man? All bets are off. I personally haven't seen a pandemic before. Have you? No,
1: and you know, if you look at the real estate cycles, I believe the normal real estate cycle is about eight years, six to eight years,
2: seven to ten years. That's exactly right.
1: And so, so that being said, I mean, yeah. we're way overdue. We're right? way overdue.
2: We, yep. we were two thousand eight. So, yeah. Uh, the recovery of the recovery from twenty from two thousand eight was longer. Longer, slower, and longer yeah. than uh, than all the previous recoveries. So it makes sense from that perspective that it should we should have a couple more good years. And of course, interest rates are retarded. So, how much time are we buying from the future right now, and to, just to cram in deals today with this artificially low interest rate?
1: Yeah, interest rates are absolutely helping in the in driving this forward. So, no doubt. Well, good. Well, I'd I'd love to have you kick us off and uh, share with us what you've done to to really bridge that gap. And I would say bridging the gap not only from four hundred to five hundred—that's what you're going to do next year—but I mean, how have you done it this year? That's huge growth from from two fifty to four fifty.
2: Well, 350, 350 to four fifty. Okay, So I, I can't take credit for that. You know, it. I think when you when you have a big jump like that, so what is that? Three fifty to four fifty—that's one hundred twenty five. It's just shy of. It's just shy of 30% growth, right? Um, that doesn't happen because we started the year deciding it was going to happen. That's, that's the consequence. That's the results of decisions that were made two years ago uh, that are finally showing up in our business model. And one of the big ones, there's a couple of things that we did differently. The, the big one was two years ago, I made a kind of a mindset leap and decided to decentralize how our our business was run. And when I say that, what I mean is, I removed myself from the center of everything. Up until that point, I had been a bottleneck of, of authority and a bottleneck of opportunity. And there, there are some great things about that. One, it's a little bit more of a profitable model. Two, you're in total control or you're in a much larger amount of control, um, but there are also some, some real limitations. Unfortunately, all of us have our own limitations. And as long as you Are trying to maintain absolute control or a high level of control, uh, the organization can never grow bigger than you can. um, Because all of us are human, we all have our our capacity. And so the big switch, the the big switch that was flipped two years ago was choosing to decentralize leadership, uh, decentralize opportunity, and allow for more fluidity and how agents go about hitting their numbers. Behaviorally, I'm a high D, high C. And so I had everything dialed in exactly the way I knew it could be done to be successful, and yet, different people uh, have different strengths, and so part of it for me was uh, also letting them play to their strengths and creating more of a of a of a scaffolding uh, of success strategies and best practices than an absolute this way or the highway, and that mm-hmm. that for me was a huge leap of faith uh, and required extreme circumstances to trigger it, but it's been it's been great and and. You know again, everybody's a genius right now, so time will tell if that was a good move or not, but for the time being, we're enjoying it.
1: well, congratulations on it sounds like yeah. you were basically letting go, and uh, I mean, people have different strengths. People also have different goals, yeah. also different wants, and to try to fit them into yours, that's right. It can be fitting a square peg into a round hole and and impossible so. I think it's important that we're supporting them in, as you said, you know, letting them do what they want to do, supporting them in in their growth, in in their life and
2: their goals. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that you have to have a vision of what you want the culture of the office to be like. And that needs to be something that you can communicate. And you have to know what the expectation you have to clearly communicate what the expectations are for each person's role and how that success is measured and provide the resources for individuals to to hit those metrics of success and use those resources and and get there as long as it's ethical and in line with your your organization's culture. Do it the way that they're going to do it, which is playing to their strengths. And that really required us overhauling a lot of our systems, the majority of our script book, uh, and for me to take a lot of deep breaths. Yeah,
1: yeah. That sounds like a major decision, major change in your business. Yeah. And now you got to keep that going. So what do you see as the key items for having that trajectory continue through 2021 and that kind of growth? It looks to me like, uh, I mean, is ISA team, is that something new to you or is that?
2: Yeah, it is. It is new to us. And I was facilitating a panel. We've got, we've got uh, agents for all different brokerages on this, right? We do. Yes. Yeah, we yeah. From, from all over. I mean, yeah. So um, I was facilitating a panel at, at one of the Keller Williams annual conventions digitally. And it was a conversation about what it means to be a team and what it means to be a brokerage and how a lot of teams are looking a lot more like brokerages where, where the value is in, is in training, right. And leadership. And that's ultimately what brokerages do. So unless teams are going to get really, really big and give up more commissions, then they really probably should stop pursuing that brokerage model. And yet all of us want to pursue scale. So how do we, most teams start when they're small, where there's traditionally, there's some sort of large producer, like your so-called mega agent or, or rainmaker or whatever you want to call that individual. And they create more opportunities that they can serve. And so they, they start to scale through people, right? They start to leverage through people. And that's how that's how the traditional team model happened. Yes. And then I think technology in the early 2000s, kind of created this opportunity for scale before the f- an, an individual with enough drive and enough ego could put together a, a real estate sales machine using instruments of scale like internet lead generation, internet leads and radio and other large media to create a machine without actually having generated the opportunities out of his, his or her own personal experience and, and sphere and database. And I think that quickly bled into, well, let's just stack a lot of bodies. We'll look like a brokerage charge higher splits and we'll deal with the churn and and there'll be a great business model there. Unfortunately, it's not great for the agents that, that participate in that model. And So I think for us, if we want to go from 400 to 500, if we start pursuing the stacking bodies model anymore, that's not healthy long term. And that's not the business we're in. We're not in the brokerage business. The team business is one where the team is creating opportunities for the agents that choose to align their careers and their income with the team. And yes, it's culture. And yes, it's training and leadership and vision, all those things. But part of it is the creation and cultivation and transfer of leads for the agents that choose to, to align themselves with the team, right? The value proposition of the split for a team has got to be a lot bigger than the value proposition of the split for the brokerage. So uh, the choice to do to finally try this whole ISA thing, number one, I'm pretty conservative financially. And so I wanted people to figure out the model and that took a couple of years, I think, but I think now the model is kind of, there's enough ratios for success that we can point at things and do some research and say, okay, this is what we want our thing to look like. And the second is it enables us to, at scale, we can now start converting leads at a higher level by investing in some salary with some talented, uh, specialized people. And it enables us to maintain our value position of creating and cultivating and transferring leads for our agents at scale, which up until this time we'd be able to do without, without individuals focused on that exclusively. Now that was a long-winded answer and I apologize.
1: No, that's great. So with the size of your team today, you're talking yeah. about the difference between a large team and a brokerage. How many agents do you guys
2: have today? Yeah, so I would not I would say we're a medium-sized team. Uh, there's some people in here that are beasts that have like 50 agents on their team and I think they're badass. For us, we have 12 active agents.
1: Okay. So you have 12 active agents, super high production for 12 active agents. So tell me more about, I mean, you say the ISA model has been proven out, but I still see every, (laughs) I still see 12 different versions of it out there. What after your research, because there's probably a lot of people listening right now, Mm -hmm. interested in trying this out, trying out the ISA team. What did your research tell you? What's the mode of that, that or the road that you're going down to do that?
2: I thought you might ask that, so I pulled up some of our research. Okay. Dial the contact, uh, 12%. And some of this, by the way, I don't want to take credit for all this. This is, a lot of this is driven from a, and I'm not promoting here. A lot of this is driven from a KW program around how to hire, train, and, and develop ISA teams. So it's from that as well as it is from Kind of like qualitative conversations with peers that are further down this road than we are. So I don't want to take credit for any of this, and I want to make sure I'm giving credit where it's due. So um, the, the big one that we're interested in is okay, what is the contact to appointment set ratio? The big ratio that I think is important, there's a couple ratios. The one that we were most interested in when we were kind of building a business model or business case for this is what's the contact to appointment booked ratio? That's the first one, right? And research shows it's around 5%. And then the next one is, okay, what's the appointment set to appointment held ratio? And we've seen that go anywhere from 60% to 80% based based on the team. So then
1: your team numbers are five percent for the first.
2: Uh, what we found is is the industry average when we talk to people is about five percent contact to appointment booked, and then any, anywhere from four to six percent, and then anywhere from sixty to eighty percent appointment booked to appointment kept.
1: And and what about on your team? What are those numbers?
2: So uh, yeah, so just to be clear, we we are just you haven't to... done
1: the ISA model. So you don't know that for ISA, do you know that for your well, for our
2: team? Yeah, absolutely. For our sales team, traditionally we're four percent. Uh, appointment uh, contact to to appointment booked so 25 contacts per agent yields a booked appointment are kept is usually about 80 percent are kept to taken whether it's a listing agreement or a buyer agreement is around 80 to I, I, 85 percent let me be conservative 80 percent and then it shakes out from there
1: okay those are great numbers and congratulations on knowing those
2: well well thank you so let's right. continue down the ISA numbers. that you yeah. The way I, I explain this to people on the sales team is when you think about a real estate agent, when the average consumer thinks about a real estate agent, they think about million dollar listing and they think about the glory and they think about the service component when you're out there with your clients looking for homes and the thrill of negotiating and all that stuff. And that is fun. And that's what people are ultimately, most people are attracted to the industry about is that service component. But prior to the service component, there's the sales component, which is finding, cultivating, converting the leads, so that you have the opportunity to serve, right? And so the which, way, which really is
1: the number one thing. If you want to be in real estate, like that is your primary, right there, right? If you, want, yeah, if you're really going to build a business, you the hard
2: is to- fun at the closing table, and the service is great. But if you don't have people to do that with, then it's not much of a business. So. The way I explain it to people when we're talking to them about it, if they're more interested in the ISA role in the organization or the or the traditional real estate agent role in the organization is which they find themselves drawn more towards the service end or the sales end. So if we're decoupling these two things, that's our experiment. And we didn't flip the switch. We've got these we have these systems running in in tandem and parallel so that we can evaluate this over a period of time.
1: So uh, so when you have these running tandem and parallel, how many ISAs do you have right now? Right.
2: So we
0: just started,
2: we started with two. And as they say in the military, one is none, two is one. And I would say three is better. So we started with two. We're down to one. Um, the one that we have was an agent with our team for three or four years. She used to run a... 24 seven call center and had 300 phone reps that were, uh, she was responsible for about 20% of those representatives activity was outbound. The rest was inbound phone calls and she was one of our best converters of internet leads. So right. prior to stepping into this role, so she's kind of leading and what we've found, which I find very encouraging is her contact to appointment booked ratio for the first three weeks that she's been in this role, uh, is 5%. And she's still building up her pipeline. So that's, I think, pretty encouraging. Yeah. Just out of
1: curiosity, I mean, you've done a lot of research. It's obvious. I've spoken with a tremendous amount of team owners and heard many, many different ways to structure compensation. Yep. But I'd like you to get into that because yep. how do you get somebody to go from an agent to an ISA and roll and, and to be satisfied and happy and know they're going to make the money they want? Because obviously she came from that. So she's happy there, but she needs to be confident she's going to make the money to stay there, right?
0: If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit.
2: Yes, absolutely. Everybody has a money box that has to be checked. And once that box is checked, my personal experience is that it's not about the money after that. You know things like quality of life and work life balance and accessibility and availability to your children and stress levels and all of that stuff nights and weekends like we all have different value systems and different priorities and how we choose our career path i don't have the right to project my career value system onto anybody else mm-hmm. and so i'm presenting opportunities to people and they can tell me if those opportunities correspond with what they value in their career path. You know, and, and and Chris, who is who's the woman that's starting this, she. She loves building and her favorite career. The favorite part of her career was when she was running this call center and she loves to build things and she loves, loves, loves being the engine room, being the tip of the spear. And she's very proud of it. and She's good at it. Um, and and so we were lucky that we found a talented person and, and uh-huh. to start this. Yes. She um, sounds like the right player. So she's the right first place. So the other thing that we've learned in our research is the first person you hire is not an ISA. The first person that you hire is somebody that has some sort of um, telephone based sales and service background that understands the metrics, that understands the mindset and just needs to be taught real estate. We were lucky enough to find somebody that does, that does both. And we were in relationship. These guys don't know I'm on a Zoom right now. Hi guys, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way you present these days, right? <laughs> no
1: and look how big Zoom is. We're not even on a Zoom, but it's it's
2: just considered Zoom Thank you now. For correcting me, sorry. Steam yard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It's just I mean, let's talk about the right place, the right time. Look at Zoom.
2: Yeah, and tissue like and in Kleenex instead of tissue paper, right? And yeah. Of yeah. Zoom yeah.
1: So, so you now have the for tracking.
2: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and,
1: and it is a, it is a good time because I think yeah. for Sisu, like people have realized that in order to really take their business to the next level and to be able to make smart decisions, mm-hmm. they really need to know these numbers. Like you just walked through all of your conversion
2: ratios along the way. If you didn't know those, you can't you know, make a business decision. You really yeah. can't. You don't have a business. You've got you've got a job, or you or you are. If you don't know your metrics, you don't run a business and you are um, going to find that you are going to be a victim of whatever is happening in the market. And if you don't, if you can't identify trends, when you know your numbers, you're going to identify trends and be able to react before the market does. And that can make or break a year. It can make or break one of. So if you're if you're leading a team or a brokerage or whatever, whomever the user is of CSU, presumably they are a leader within that organization. If you're not using the metrics to understand the market of the moment and stay a step ahead of it, your job as a leader is custodian, not custodian, is um, advocate for the careers of the people that get in business with you. It's your responsibility to know your numbers so that you can protect them and help guide them and lead them in the right direction when there's shifts in the market. And you can't do that if you don't have your pulse on the market. And the way you pulse on your market is you watch the media and you watch your numbers.
1: Yeah, well said. Now here you are. You're down this road. You're going from 400 to 450. It looks like you're going to add 100 transactions this year. Wherever you end up, you want to add another 100 in 2021. Yeah. You're down this road with the ISA. Your goal is to get to three. You're now at one. Is that is that kind of where you're at?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yes, is the short answer. Okay. So uh, in order to get to
1: three, it sounds like you're making some very smart decisions and just proving this out along the way and figuring out what's working, what's yeah. not. And when do you bump that up to three? And when you do, does your current ISA step into a leadership role?
2: Yes. She will be the consummate player coach. Yes. She, okay. She's paid a higher base salary and an override on their, on their production. Okay. Um, so
1: um, do you mind talking about compensation for perfect. a minute? Because I think that's where people struggle. It's like, okay, am I going to have to pay a, a $50,000 salary now? Where do I come up with that? Yeah. How, how deep do I have to dive into my commissions or into the agent's commissions? Yep. So You've done a tremendous amount of research in this. So I'd mm-hmm. love to hear how you've decided this is how I'm going about this.
2: Well, I'm probably the wrong guy to interview because we're getting started. And there's some beasts on this, on this program that you guys have put together, which, by the way, is really impressive, oh, uh, thank you. who are way further down the path and can probably answer this from their experience. What we've learned without actually being in the trenches for very long is obviously there's a base and best practices that the, the bonus component of the compensation is only on closed business. It's not on booked appointments or kept yeah. appointments or taken. It's on closed business. Yes.
1: Yeah, so um, I, I think that's, that is one of the most important points that everybody has said, everybody I've ever talked to that successfully yeah. done this has said. And the reason that's so important is because at that point, you have your ISAs booking appointments and their their interest is in line with the agents. Right. The appointments they're booking, their goal is to get a closing from that. Their goal yeah. is not to just send somebody on a crappy appointment.
2: That's right. They want qualified, motivated buyers and sellers and investors. That's yes. exactly right. Yeah.
1: So thank you for bringing that up. I think that's a super important
2: point. Yeah. That was loud and clear when we were doing our research. So sorry, it's a base salary. It is a override on the GCI from the closed transaction. Uh, We pay health insurance for individuals. We have a group health insurance plan on our sales team and uh, the ability to participate in 401k after 90 days on the job. Okay.
1: So um, do you mind talking about splits of what, what your team splits are today and how that percentage that is going to the ISA coming from the team? Is that coming from the agents?
2: or So yeah, talking about agent splits, in a vacuum is, is useless because we don't know what services I am or I'm not providing to have any kind of perspective on whether that's a fair split or whether that's one to, to copy or to implement or, or make your own value decision on your split structure. However, what I do think is a good conversation is yes, the agents pay for the ISA to identify, cultivate and convert and schedule that lead. Okay. Uh, and so the way we do that is they're splits are adjusted down 10 percent okay so. so
1: i just want to clarify this because i think this is really important and i think that's a great way of doing it but what you're saying is you're paying their base salary you're allowing them onto your benefits plan mm-hmm. which is a, a tremendous value in itself yes and then the agents are getting 10 percent less out of their commission it's not coming out of the gross gci it's actually coming off the agents split whatever that is is that correct 10 percent of the agent or is yeah. it 10% of the GCI? So,
2: great question. If it's a 50-50 split, just for simplicity's sake. Yes. If they are closing a transaction that was qualified and booked by the ISA, they will keep 40, I will keep 60. Okay. Okay, perfect. That's what I thought. Yeah, just the easiest way to explain it. And yeah. so the ISA, so the next question is, well, what does the ISA get paid? The ISA is getting paid 5% override uh, on, on the transaction. Okay. So, uh, yeah. you're saying well I
1: think based on that it's important for people to understand your average yeah, your average transaction price. Yeah,
2: Our average sales price is about 244,000. Okay. Let's say 240. Okay. 250 is easier.
1: $250,000. Okay. So, average sales price 250. We had somebody in here Kyle Whistle yesterday. He was basically running the same model that you just mm-hmm. talked about. So, um, there's two of you that are doing this very very similar. However, he was paying five. Is, but I want to talk to him. That that's Kyle Whistle. Kyle Whistle. So, yeah, you may want you may want to talk to Kyle. Kyle's average purchase price is six hundred and something thousand. He's in San Diego. Yeah. So one of the things he suggested is if you have a lower purchase price, yeah. you may need to go up to ten percent in order to get that ISA over a hundred, the magical hundred thousand
2: dollars that. Yeah, the fixed figure. Does. Okay. Yes. 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 That's all correct. But he's projecting a six hundred thousand dollar standard for somebody that lives in where did you say it was? San Diego. San Diego. The cost of living in Cincinnati is probably two-thirds or less of what yeah. it is in San Diego. So, you know. So your target,
1: I get that's a great point. And your target
2: maybe. $60, sixty-five to eighty-five.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Perfect. That's what I was trying to get to.
2: Yeah, and sixty-five to eighty-five. By the way, if you're working five days a week eight hours, maybe it's nine or maybe it's six days a week for seven hours, whatever that winds up being. And you're in the real estate business and you're not working nights or weekends and you've got health insurance, you have the ability to participate in a 401k. And uh, we also provide additional investment opportunities for our people. Like that's a pretty good gig,
0: especially if,
2: especially if you have younger kids, which is part of what one of Chris's motivators was that she wanted to be home on the nights and the weekends, while her kids are teenagers, well, I mean, every teenager right now is going through the hardest time with social media and all the additional pressures and, and coronavirus and all this crap. Like, they need their mom there. And, and for her, it was a no-brainer.
1: Yeah. The one thing I love about you is everything is well thought out, well-structured, and you. you come you come about it with a tremendous amount of confidence. It's like, yeah, well, living in San Diego, you're going to need $100,000. Living in Cincinnati, is it Cincinnati?
2: Yeah, Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: in Cincinnati, sixty-five to eighty-five thousand is a great pay. Big, big. I think yeah. that's the truth. So, yeah. Any last thoughts? Because we're running out of time. Yeah. Any last thoughts around what is going to be key for you guys getting to the to the next level next year?
2: So my normal speed is pedal down always, and I might be maturing a little bit as I lose my hair here because we're we're doing this incrementally. Uh, for the first time ever, I'm not jumping in feet first and, and figuring it out as we go, where we are, we're experimenting and we are, we've increased our, oh, that's the thing. You asked me about dollars and budget. I think to do this right, you have to have the savings to pay for at least one ISA, probably two, because two will do better, learn better, perform better if they start at the same time because of just friendly competition and, and having a buddy. Yes. Um, you probably need to be able to pay for an ISA salary and whatever benefits plus the lead gen budget increase for both of them to be successful for at least four excuse me at least five probably six months before you can decide whether or not it was successful and if you can't do that you're cheating yourself you're cheating them and you're cheating your agents yeah
1: great point so if you're thinking about going down that road plan for at least that i i would totally agree with that yeah okay well it's been great getting to know you thank you Peter, thank you so much for joining us today and congratulations on all of your success.
2: Well, thank Um, you guys. Congratulations on your product. Congratulations on pulling off this like marathon of of killer content. Well done. Strong.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, now for me, the goal would be it's I love talking to maps coaches because that's an area where we would love to break in and and get a lot more of your customers, obviously on Sisu. So, but anyway, thank you. It's been great. Love chatting with you today. And Best
2: of luck over the next year. Thanks, man. Good luck, everybody. Thank you. We'll see you.
0: Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your set of fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT. The Real Estate Growth Mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.